the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Clark Hilton is engineering today's program. James Blend is producing, and we're glad to have you with us. Today, we want to help you prepare for apocalypse. Wait, now I have to say this right. Apocalypse, which is coming up on Monday, that uh, period of what, 10 minutes, five minutes, three minutes, two minutes, two minutes, um, is going to be momentous. But all the time surrounding those two minutes, that could be disastrous. At least, at least that's what they're telling. It's like Y2K all over again. Only worse this time because, you know. Anyway, we're uh, going to have a little fun with that. Also, I um, want to say goodbye to a familiar voice here on uh, KPDQ and our sister stations. Uh, Andy Waits will be joining us in the 5 o'clock hour to tell us a little bit about his next adventure. And we'll let you know what's ha- happening next week on the program, Should We All Survive, a Pocky Clips, which is coming up on, uh, on Monday. Well, I wanted to spend uh, at least the first part of today's program kind of preparing you for what's coming uh, I know, Clark, you too have, uh, and I have to say, I'm thrilled that I now have my Eclipse glasses. I've been thinking about it, but I have never actually purchased a pair of glasses, and I was starting to get a little bit worried. But today I was presented with a pair of Apocalypse, or rather, Apocalypse glasses uh, from Clark. And I just wanted to say publicly, thank you, Clark. I'm going to enjoy the view of the Eclipse from right here in the beautiful studios of KPDQ at some vantage point we'll talk about on Monday. Yeah, you know, I got those from the boss. Really? Yes, he was handing them out, but you weren't here, and I said we needed to get a pair for oh, you. Oh, thank you. I didn't yeah. know that. I didn't go out and buy them, you know, while you were out today. I... <laughs> well, either way, I appreciate you remembering Yeah, you're to welcome. Set a pair aside. Well, that was nice of him. I didn't know he had a set of them. Well, they're giving them away this weekend at Fish Fest. Or ah. selling them. I'm not sure which. Well, but, there you go. If you're going to be yeah. at Fish Fest and you have not yet... Purchased your pair. That of, may be uh, the only glasses. place you'll be able to find them. It may well be. Now, if yeah. you can get there and back, then <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's the other true, challenge. True. Well, I wanted to start with a, a story that was uh, broadcast on NBC. A man who actually burned his retina during the 1962 eclipse wanted to warn others about the viewing dangers. We kind of joke about it, but apparently this is pretty serious. So you want to take that serious seriously. He said the vision problems never got any worse, but they also never got any better. Uh, He's an Oregon man, and he damaged his vision during the 62 solar eclipse. Uh, He's warning people to be extra careful about looking toward the sky, technically the sun. You can look toward the sky, no problem. The sun, that's a different story. Well, this um, Oregon man, he burned his retina while he was looking at a partial eclipse more than 50 years ago. He had some words of advice for people tempted to look at the sun without using protective glasses. And that advice, don't do it. Pretty simple. His name is Lou Tomasowski. Anyway, he was a high school teen in 1962 when his science teacher told the class about a solar eclipse that was going to take place that afternoon. 
Apparently, it wasn't as big a deal as we make it today. But anyway, he says he and a friend viewed the partial eclipse outside Marshall High School in Portland. The sun at the time at 3.30 p.m. was in the uh, one o'clock position. He said to his friend Roger, if you stare at it long enough, the brightness goes away. (laughs) This from... This from a a teenager who would know, you know, everyone says, don't look directly at the sun. But he, on the other hand, hey, it's fine. Told his friend. Oh, absolutely. There's no there's no problem. Didn't those adults wrecking our fun again. (laughs) Exactly. They may actually know something, you know, when they're telling you not to do something. Well, the total eclipse is going to be visible across parts of the U.S. tomorrow on Monday, I should say. But what is a total solar eclipse exactly? When was the last time one happened? What should you look for? You can find out all of that out virtually everywhere, so we're not going to go into all of that. But this teenager, now grown man, looking back, says, look, I damaged my retina, and um, it hasn't gotten worse, but it hasn't gotten better. By that night, both he and his friend were having vision problems. He said the vision problems never got any worse, uh, but didn't go away. A doctor later told him that he had burned his retina during the eclipse. He's 70 years old now. He says he and his friend both still have vision problems to this day. Pretty cool that they stayed in touch, and he actually knows that. You know how the news people blur a license plate out? Well, that's what I have on the right eye. About the size of a pea, I can't see around that. So here you have a firsthand account of uh, a knucklehead in his teenage years saying, ah, I don't need to do what the grown-ups tell me. I'm looking directly at the sun. Uh, Dr. Brandon Lujan of the Casey Eye Institute here in, uh, in Portland tells uh, KGW that looking at the solar eclipse for even an instant can damage the eyes. It's a fact, so don't test the theory. As for this uh, former teenager, he says he's excited about the upcoming eclipse on the the 21st, but this time he's not going to look at the sky. We keep saying sky. It's not the sky. I mean, looking at the sky right now, no problems. It's the sun you don't want to look at. I hope he's clear on that. Uh, I'm going to uh, go out and enjoy it, but I'll stand and watch in the dark. You know, I went to see my optometrist this week, and we were uh, we ended up talking about this a little bit anyway. And she had told me I my health care is through Kaiser Permanente, and she mm-hmm. told me that she was um, that they were kind of starting things up to where everything was going to. They figure that people are going to call, people are going to look at the sun, they're going to freak out, and they're going to start calling. So what they've got is some kind of protocol that they've set up from urgent care to primary care physicians all over, what kind of protocol to go with. And the thing is, they're just not going to know how much damage you've done to your eye and whether it'll be permanent or not. But she told me that um, basically the gist of it was that if you were still having problems two weeks later, that you absolutely had to come in. But if you looked at the if you weren't having problems, you're okay, mm-hmm. you know, but they were anticipating a flood of phone calls regardless of whether people had actually directly looked at the sun or whether they worried that their glasses, you know, their solar glasses weren't the appropriate ones or whatever. So they have a protocol set up, but yeah, they won't know if it's permanent or not. Sometimes it won't be permanent. It'll be temporary and the eye can heal, but you just don't know. Yeah. There are two kinds of people. There are people who follow the advice of professionals who actually know, and then there are the knuckleheads. Yeah. So don't be in the knucklehead Don't be a knucklehead. Group. Don't be in the knucklehead group. I asked her what she's going to do, and she said, I'm just going to leave them on the whole time, even during the totality, which supposedly... It's okay to take them off then, but you said, ah, yeah, why chance we, that? Yeah, exactly. And you can see through the lenses, so it'll be fine. Yeah. That's what I'm going to do, too, when we see the apocalypse on, the uh, on Monday. 
Well, with the uh, eclipse just days away, many Oregon stores have sold out of protective eclipse glasses, and people are scrambling to figure out alternative ways of experiencing the big astronomical event on Monday. I don't know if you've seen pictures from years ago, you know, when this... uh, a teenager we we uh, just heard about burned his retina, but they used to uh, have you make these big boxes that you put on your head so that you just see kind of the reflection of the reflection of they, what's, when what's I, happening. The last one we had was in the winter of 79. I was in second grade, and they were trying to tell us something about how you could do it through a shoebox. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We just watched it on TV. That was yeah. easier. <laughs> well, and it, at that uh, young age, you don't fully appreciate the significance of the oh, whole thing, but you oh, saw what Oh, I appreciated happened. it. I remember they kept us home from school. My dad shut all the curtains in but the I house. But I mean, you may not have appreciated the importance of seeing it firsthand, but you got to see a really good picture of it on television. So you're arguing with me now about my story? No, I'm just, you're doing? I'm just saying that today I'll you take those be glasses back. <laughs> They're not yours to get take back. <laughs> Anyway, um, but they, you know, you'd construct these boxes and you'd see a reflection of a reflection and and witness the whole thing. Uh, Some Fred Meyers, Bimarts, Made in Oregon stores, they've sold out their Eclipse glasses in the wake of last weekend's uh, recall by Amazon. And that was a big hit for a lot of people. But we'll tell you what to uh, do if you're a wannabe Eclipse watcher and want to do what used to be done in, you know, protecting your eyes and still enjoying the the Eclipse. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back. You can have as many of those glasses as you want about 10.30 Monday morning. Yeah, you can buy them on eBay. No, you'll be able to just find them on the ground. Unfortunately, I think that's where they're all going to end up. <laughs> so what's the next one? 2024? So I just gather so. them up and keep yeah, them someplace. Save them. Yeah, where you'll remember, remember where they are. Back in a moment. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 19 minutes after four o'clock. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. So what happens if you don't have a generous coworker that made sure you had epoch eclipse glasses? Well, whatever you do, don't look directly at the sun. We've already established that fact. Well, the sun's ultraviolet rays are so strong they can cause everything from blurred vision to complete blindness. Our uh, teenage or former teenage friend who's now 70 years old has that blurred vision uh, that um, he made reference to. But you can experience the eclipse in other ways. Now, you can uh, make an alternative viewer. You can follow the moon's path across the sun using an old-fashioned pinhole viewer, which you can uh, make out of a pair of paper plates. Uh, There's also an indirect way of viewing the eclipse using a piece of pegboard, uh, which you can find at hardware stores and and uh, view it that way. Also, of course, you can see it on television and online. That's the way Clark saw it when he was in second grade with the blinds drawn. Is that what you said? The curtains were closed when you saw it at home? Well, I remember my dad closed all of them. And even if you're not looking at the sun, watching all this with glasses, it's still pretty spectacular mm-hmm. to have the sun just suddenly, it goes dark so quickly. Yeah. And then it comes back. It was just the... I can still remember that, and Pretty that's what amazing. I saw through curtains, so, yeah. You can go outside and observe uh, as the darkness descends, just as you've described, but outside. You can observe others, if you're with, uh, with other people, watch how they react as the eclipse progresses. That sounds like kind of a downer to me, but... Um, and you, can, you know, uh, I would point this out, too, is that if you're anywhere in the country or anything, listen to how quiet... Everything yeah. becomes yeah. animals. Also, everything it, just exactly. Yeah. I was just going to say the animals uh, will react uh, yeah. in a way that you can't hear as well. Or you can ask nicely, and someone will share them with you. Although you may not uh, 
may not have access like you would like. Uh, the other thing you might do is uh, consider Pizza Hut because they're offering tutorials for making eclipse viewing apparatus from pizza boxes. Really? Of course, you'd have to buy a pizza to take advantage of the tutorial. Well, but That would just be terrible. <laughs> if you can't get a pair of those factory eclipse glasses everybody's talking about, no worries. Just use a pizza box. box rather. Well, Pizza Hut, um, uh, ever concerned with the safety of our delicate pupils, has released an instructional video for turning one of their pizza boxes into a pinhole projector, which can be used uh, as a safe way to view the total solar eclipse. So there you have it. You don't have to go out and spend $1.99. The video lasts about 38 seconds. It begins with uh, laying out the materials needed from uh, for the Pizza Hut pinhole projector, including a Pizza Hut uh, pizza box, of course, aluminum foil, scissors, a pen, tape, and a sheet of unlined white paper. And you can uh, find out more from there. But there you have it. There's another way to protect yourself and still enjoy the solar eclipse. Well, the epoch eclipse uh, that's coming up uh, is potentially millions of Americans travel to see the total solar eclipse on Monday. Doctors are bracing for a spike in visits to the emergency rooms all across the country. Uh, Says um, one, I suspect that there will be an increase in patient traffic to ERs, especially in areas expecting a large influx of eclipse walkers or watchers. Rather, that's Dr. Becky uh, Parker, president of the American College of Emergency Physicians. Uh, In a statement, uh, these include areas in the path of the total solar eclipse, which will span from Oregon to uh, South Carolina. So they're preparing in emergency rooms all over. I don't know what people are going to do, throw themselves to the ground and writhe. I'm not sure what they'll do, Um, but apparently they have large groups of people. The chances of problems. It also be again people freaking out about. Oh no! I think I looked at the sun. Am I going blind? So they rush to the ER. Yeah, it's entirely possible. Um, let's Can you see. see me? Yes. You're not blind. Next. <laughs> Triage. NASA, know. National Guard, they're going to be out in Salem for the eclipse. Uh, traffic appeared normal in Salem on Thursday. Most hotels expect their eclipse guests to arrive on Friday and Saturday. NASA is already in town. They've set up at the fairgrounds. They're preparing to use high-tech equipment, which normally tracks the performance of planes in the California desert. But to instead, uh, they're going to be tracking uh, NASA jet flying a racetrack pattern uh, over uh, Lincoln City at 35,000 feet. Now, I guess that gives you a better vantage point of what's <laughs> going on, but they're going to be doing a racetrack for the uh, for the two hours, and it will be a race to the bottom, fly to the top. Uh, to give you whatever we can, uh, we're going to uh, try to get a lot of footage of the, uh, uh, the waning and the waxing of the eclipse as well. So... Apparently, they know what they're doing, but NASA is going to be in place in Salem. The National Guard, uh, you know, uh, available to deal with any uh, trouble that might um, ensue because, again, I think people are just going to fall out, and that's going to be the primary issue. By the way, I'm, issue. I'm curious uh, for those folks, you know, who are coming up here tonight and for the weekend and everything, if those uh, $1,000 rooms at the Motel 6 will include uh, <laughs> mint on the pillow or anything? I mean, will they do something nice for you? Or eclipse glasses. Yeah. A yeah. T-shirt. You know, I stayed at Motel 6 and all I got was the shirt. I, I don't know what they're planning, but that would be a good idea. I thought this was an interesting headline. Uh, it was in the Oregonian. How 2017 could launch Generation Eclipse. Wow. Um. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, At the time it was written, uh, in eight days, a spectacular cosmic experience will sweep across the United States, transfixing Americans for the first time in in the Internet era. Yeah. 
A total eclipse is not exactly rare, but this great American eclipse is significant for its unusual coast-to-coast path across the country, which we all know by now, and its arrival in the midst of the communication age. Millions are expected to gather in the path of totality, a 60 to 70 mile wide path where the total eclipse will be visible. Untold millions more will see it streaming online and via photo and videos posted on social media. Everyone in the U.S. will see at least a partial eclipse where the moon passes in front of the sun but doesn't block it completely. It will be a cultural touchstone moment for the 21st century with effects potentially far more profound for the people who actually get to bask in the shadow of the moon. Those who have been to- who have seen totality say it changes you it humbles you before the cosmos or maybe the maker of the cosmos people weep shake and unleash primal screams i'm i'm a little afraid that uh, as we're watching the eclipse from the grounds here that you're going to unleash a primal scream can you promise me that that's that's not going to happen i promise unleash a primal scream. But no matter how people react in the face of totality, the eclipse will certainly have a profound impact on the United States, one that might be felt for generations to come. It will change us. But the question is, how? Now, is that a classic piece of overstatement or what? Yeah. (laughs) 9-11 was supposed to change us, too, and that was far more major than an eclipse. And yet we're kind of back to where we were then. I mean, in some ways it certainly has, but this phenomenon that occurs periodically, I'm not seeing it. No. Uh, Maybe we're wrong. We'll have to wait and see, but I don't know. It will change us. But the question is, how? So, Clark, how do you think this... Well, we might get very frustrated in traffic, feeling like (laughs) we're in California rather than Oregon. Madder than we normally would be in traffic. That might be how it changes us. There's a very good reason that it's hard for us to gauge the impact of the eclipse. We just aren't accustomed to it. The writer, uh, Jamie This has happened before. The 20th century was a dry period for total solar eclipse in the U.S. Eclipses cut across significant portions of the country three times over a 30-year period in the uh, 1900s. But back then, the population in the path of totality was sparse. The most recent two eclipses didn't make much landfall or were hard to see due to bad weather. Contrast that to the 21st century, when we'll see six widely visible total solar eclipses starting this year and ending in 2099. Of course, we, she's yeah. rather generous. Mm-hmm. Total solar eclipses will also hit smaller portions of the country four other times this century. It changes us. The question is, how? Miss out on the 2017 total solar eclipse? Here's when the next one will cross America for the next 100 years. Well, that schedule has led some in the astronomy community to dub today's kids Generation Eclipse. This year's eclipse will be a once or twice in a lifetime event for many American adults. But if you were born in 2010, you could witness eight total solar eclipses in American soil before age 70. That means the next generation won't just be accustomed to awe-inspiring acts of universe, but also to widespread shared experiences, one that blurs our lines of division and brings us under the universal umbrella of human beings' residence on Earth. Oh, honey, she's going to be so terribly disappointed. I think she is. Yeah, I think she probably is. I think people are just going to fall to their knees and start singing Kumbaya all around the country. Uh, When was the last time we really had a big national shared event that wasn't a tragedy? The Super Bowl? (laughs) I can think of several. Uh, David Barron, science reporter and author of The American Eclipse, said, Awe-inspiring sights encourage empathy and generosity and group cohesion, and total eclipse always do that. 
I'm just thinking of those million people who are going to be trying to get out of town at the same time Monday at 1030 in the morning. Shaking their fists at each other. There is some historical precedent for this in America. In 1878, a total solar eclipse crossed the American West south into the Gulf of Mexico. That year, the nation was deeply divided over the recent election of President Rutherford B. Hayes. And that summer, Congress held hearings into allegations of voter fraud. Sound familiar? What? That eclipse didn't do much other than distract from the deluge of political news, according to American Eclipse. But there's good reason to believe that this one could be different. What's past is prologue. Oh, my goodness. Really? Do they think this eclipse is going to fix everything? <laughs> oh, I, I feel kind of bad for Jamie. What a disappointment it's all going to be. Trying really hard, though. Yeah, really hard. Generation Eclipse. You know, I'm thinking with... The kind of entertainment media we have today, it's going to be like, oh, that was interesting. Yeah, cool. Next. <laughs> anyway, we'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 35 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, what solar eclipse would be worth its salt if there weren't solar eclipse party foods being recommended? Portable oh, make-ahead dishes for an out-of-this-world brunch. So you... Mm. Um, have a little brunch to celebrate the two-minute You know display. what I'm going to have? I'm going to have some scrambled eggs, mm-hmm. probably some Cheerios, some avocado, and then I'm going to just come into work. Oh, that's so boring when you can I have know. And solar I'm happy eclipse with it that way. party food. I'm happy with it that way. What are you having? Are I you... probably won't. I'll have a cup of yogurt. That's probably yeah. <laughs> But these are the solar eclipse party foods. For those who take this whole thing really seriously. Well, the 2017 total solar eclipse on Monday offers a rare chance to experience one of the rarest astronomical phenomenon. So why not experience some of the rare astronomical treats? You don't want to be cooking during the eclipse. I don't know who's cooking at 10, whatever it is. Imagine being tethered to the stove while the sky is darkening outside. Unthinkable. Whether you're camping out or watching the eclipse from your backyard, you want to make ahead dishes that are portable and can be enjoyed picnic style. Or you want little bites that can be cooked on the grill or over a campfire as the moon slowly slides across the sun. I don't know who's eating a lot of food at about that time of the morning, but and there are on other, a parts Monday. The, other parts of the country, I suppose it's later. Well, here are some ideas for the perfect solar eclipse party food. Maybe we should have a solar eclipse party. Um, they can be a, a jumping off spot for your own creative ideas. So here we go with solar eclipse party food. Many frittatas. These many Italian omelets cook quickly in muffin tins and can be made early in the morning so that they're ready before the solar eclipse begins. And you can adapt them to whatever is on hand. So maybe I should bring in some mini frittatas for the solar eclipse. What about the PB&J muffin? That's If you're thinking solar eclipse, that's the idea for you. There's the breakfast pizza. Or what about the relatively easy tomato tart? <laughs> Nothing says solar eclipse like... Tomato tart. The 2017 solar eclipse arrives at the peak of tomato season. So you want them part of your party buffet. Wow, party buffet. I feel like we're missing out. We're not having Man, a party buffet. Gonna, if we did that, we'd be awfully busy in the parking lot. <laughs> we, we certainly would. What about, um, let's see, the savory roasted tomato tart hmm. or the bacon wrapped dates, which, by the way, is one of my favorite things. Those are actually really good. But Bacon wrapped dates? Yeah. Who would have thought? I had them at Cannon Beach Conference Center. Really? At their women's conferences, they have a buffet on Friday night before things begin. Oh, my goodness. Who would ever have thought to put bacon around a date? But it's incredible. Uh, Let's see. Bacon-wrapped Parmesan stuffed dates. 
a little something different. Or maybe you want to make Mona's Incredible Cheese Biscuits. These are uh, party treats for your eclipse-watching pleasure. Who's Mona? I have no idea. Grilled apricot skewers or egg cups, breakfast muffins, crowd-pleasing deviled eggs, or olive crostini, summer berry muffins. Summer berry muffins. Yeah, I so like if you're looking for solar eclipse party food, uh, of course, here in the Pacific Northwest, it's 10 in the morning, so it's not like people are holding big parties. Have some finger jello. <laughs> there you go. A spoonful of jam. I, I don't know, but solar eclipse party food. So, you know, if you're really into it, there you have it. And as I mentioned early, uh, earlier, Bonnie Tyler is going to sing Total Eclipse of the Heart. There you go. Sing it, Bonnie. We're a little early, but... So if you have a total eclipse of the heart on Monday, you need to go to ER immediately. (laughs) Anyway, Bonnie Tyler, who made that song famous, is going to be singing that on the Royal Caribbean cruise during the total solar eclipse. Now, she's had a career revival. Listen (laughs) to that. Singular event. So for the two minutes of the eclipse, she is going to be the number one artist in the country. It's a five minute song, though. And that's going to be tough. (laughs) It is going to be. My guess is. Um, they're going to be serving solar eclipse party food while she's singing Total Eclipse of the Heart on the Royal uh, Caribbean, and the eclipse is taking place. It doesn't get much better than that. Wow. Total Eclipse of the Heart. Glorious. This is probably why uh, ERs all across the country are preparing. (laughs) I think think I've had a Total Eclipse of the the Heart. (laughs) No, it's just indigestion. (laughs) From having your uh, eclipse party. Yeah. (laughs) Finger foods. That's probably going to be it. Well, coast residents are preparing to hunker down ahead of the eclipse. Now, it's not so much the eclipse itself as it is the crowds who are coming to the area. But I don't know what people are expecting. Like this, you know, this is going to be uh, uh, something where you can't get anything that you need. It's like Y2K. I know Newport is in the uh, path of totality. And uh, I saw on the Oregon Live site today that they are preparing for just Highway 101, among other highways, to just be... Gridlock. And when you think about it, it's only two lanes, yeah. one each way for a, most of the most of the journey. Well, the, so. the good holiday weekend and 101 can be really rough. Yeah. You know, and that's just yeah. people in our own state trying to get from one place to the other. So I know traffic's going to be really bad, but I guess the presumption is nobody in the cars who are coming from other places, they're not going to have any snacks in the car. They're not going to have any water in the car. They're going to come totally famished and unprepared for life as we've known it on planet Earth. And so they're going to need everything. <laughs> they're going to need paper towels and toilet paper. They're going to need chewing gum and toothbrushes. And, and so if you don't stock up now, you know, for this, t- you know, two-minute event that you're going to bring people in and out for a weekend, then you're just going to be lost. Life as we know it is, um, is going to end. So hunker down. I guess that's the, uh, the idea. Be a bad time for a tsunami. Yeah, wouldn't it, though? In Lincoln City, shopping carts were full at McKay's Market. We're stocking up for the eclipse, says uh, one resident who lives in Lincoln City and was out doing last-minute shopping. Some of the store shelves at McKay's Market were getting bare. We got some bare shelves out there, says one of the employees, the store manager. We've, had, we've been having trouble keeping things stocked right now. Huh. Many people living in the area said that they were taking advantage of the calm before the storm. They expect about 100,000 people in their uh, little bitty town. That's why she and so many others uh, tried to stock up early before the eclipse and before crowds converge on the coast for uh, the big event. It's like you live in Europe and you only have enough to eat for that one day. You know, you, your refrigerator's yeah. tiny. You know, we're Costco people. What are you rushing? Yeah. <laughs> are you well, rushing they can go to the market to every day. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I, I should 
talk to some of my friends who still live um, on the Central Coast and see if they've done this, prepared yeah. like this. I can't imagine they have. Yeah, I don't. I mean, you know, maybe people shop on the weekend, and so they're yeah. preparing ahead of time when they would normally go to the store. They're going early, but the shelves are bare in anticipation of this horde of strangers uh, coming into town, looking upward, uh, calling nine one one, eating, you using know, all the gas. Snacks. Yeah, absolutely. So it's just, <laughs> just wow. It's a big deal. Uh, and here in Portland, they're going to close public parking garage roofs during the uh, Yeah, what's the story solar about eclipse. that? Looking for a place to view Monday's eclipse in downtown Portland? Don't head to the parking garage. Uh, the Transportation Bureau said it would close the roofs of its smart park garages from 8 p.m. Sunday to noon Monday because it was concerned about crowding. You don't want too many people standing up there. Mm-hmm. The Bureau spokesman said a parking garage deck with people standing shoulder to shoulder could uh, pose a structural risk. Uh, we really? don't anticipate problems, but we don't uh, want to entertain the possibility of problems. You know, we're heavier as a people than we <laughs> used to be. The smart park <laughs> garages with roof decks are located in southeast, uh, southwest 3rd and Alder, 4th and Yamhill, 10th and Yamhill, 1st and Jefferson. The other floors of the garages will remain open. Apparently, they're, uh, they can handle the weight. Uh, the Bureau has previously closed garage roofs during winter storms because of snow and ice. The city is also advising commuters to expect severe traffic congestion in the days before and after the eclipse. Of course, we all know that. But if you're planning on going to a parking structure, don't. What if they had an eclipse and no one came? <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see what actually happens. It'll be interesting on Monday. By the time we do the show, we'll know. If this was a fizzle or if it was a big deal. So let me ask you, I know that Central Oregon has had quite a bit of uh, congestion. And that's partly due to the, or mostly due to that huge festival they've Mm -hmm. got going on there at the same time. But have you noticed anything about the traffic here in the Portland area at all? No, I haven't. Being any worse? As a matter of fact, I thought the traffic today was better than it's been all week. I noticed that when I was driving uh, today too. So maybe so many people have been um, afraid of what might happen that they simply didn't Maybe, yeah. maybe. I don't know. Uh, on uh, my friend Clark Bondi's uh, Facebook page, he had this post, and I thought it would be a good way to end our uh, apocalypse uh, segment. We're talking about this? It may come up, but this is... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> as far as we know, he writes, in the entire universe, there is only one place where the cir- circumference of the moon perfectly eclipses the sun. It's the planet on which you live, which means the theory of relativity, which was spoken about in 1916 and written about in 1917, could have only been proved during the eclipse of 1918 in one place in the entire universe. I hope you were sitting down as your mind was blown. <laughs> Of all the scientific theories, general relativity has been the most exhaustively proved theory. By the way, the theory of general uh, relativity is the one that assures there is not only nothing more certain than a God beyond space and time who designed it, but also that he designed the universe in such a way that we could discover this for ourselves. So I appreciated uh, that post from uh, saxophonist extraordinaire. Clark Bondi from his Facebook page. I had heard that, too. That's uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. We're going to take a break um, because that's what they require that's us to that's do what we at are this supposed particular to do. time. But we'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. 51 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. On a sunny Friday. On a sunny Friday. On the eve, nearly the eve of Apocalypse. It's coming, ladies and gentlemen. Are you ready? Uh, Drivers aren't the only ones who could be fined for texting or talking. 
in Stamford, Connecticut. And I'm hoping folks who are going to uh, uh, going to live there are aware. But now there's a proposal to keep pedestrians safe that could set off a national trend. Crossing busy Broad Street in downtown Stamford can be a challenge, even if you're uh, not staring down at text messages on your cell phone. Says Don Thompson, I see mothers pushing their babies, they're texting, and I'm, and I'm like, I hate that, and I'm like, um, how do y'all do all this at this intersection? That scares me, Don says. There's been many times where I look down on my phone and then notice that there's a car coming right at me, and I feel like a moron whenever that happens, says Nicole, who also lives in the area. Texting or even talking on an electronic device may soon be illegal in Stamford if a proposal to outlaw distracted walking is approved. They're oblivious to cars, says one city resident. He says the pedestrian safety ordinance is modified after one... uh, Uh, One approved in Honolulu late last month and would carry a $30 fine if police catch you in the act. I don't want any more injuries or deaths as a result of pedestrians getting hit. We've had about four or five within the past three or four years, he said. Well, nationwide pedestrian fatalities jumped about 11 percent last uh, last year with nearly 6,000 people killed, according to the National Governor's Highway Safety Association. And while most people in Stanford seem to like the idea, others asked, do we really need to legislate legislate common sense, Uh, says one resident. I think it's ridiculous. Latham certainly, and that's the resident, doesn't like the idea of a $30 fine or being forced to hang up. If it's an important text message or call they're getting, like, what if it's too late? What if your mother's in the hospital and they need someone to call really quick? Well, then you stop, take a step to the side, and you pick up the phone or you listen or read or whatever. Anyway, distracted walking. That's something I I do not do. I'm not a distracted walker. But I have literally found myself in an, a busy area where I have come to a complete stop because the person that's approaching me is oblivious to my presence or uh, the presence of anybody else. And I know mm-hmm. they're going to walk right into me. We're about to have a collision. I think it's better. And there's no place to go until they they almost uh, touch you and look up and realize. And most of the time they don't say, oh, sorry. They just look up, step aside, look back down and continue on their journey. It's, it's sometimes it happens as they're coming out of the restroom, which is worse. I mean, out then of the you have restroom, a, out of the elevator. Yeah. yeah. Boom. There's yeah. not a lot of room to maneuver then in that tight space. So distracted walking. How about distracted bicyclists? You've seen bicyclists kind of doing that with their phone. I have. Have you? I'm not sure that I have, but I've seen a lot of other things. Kids. That bicyclists Kids tend do to do that. Kind of get on my last nerve. And I'm telling you, my last nerve is frayed. <laughs> I was going to say. It, it yeah. really, it's really been quite uh, taxed. Well, German police have issued an alert after a um, 70,000 pounds worth of Nutella uh, were stolen from a lorry, as they call it, a lorry. Thieves made off with a trailer filled with 20 tons of Nutella, uh, kinder surprise eggs and other chocolate products from the German town of Neustadt. Uh, the hall believed to be worth about fifty to 70000 It's marks in Germany, isn't it? Uh, anyway, it was taken between Saturday evening and midday Sunday. According to the Times, Neustadt police released a, um, a statement urging people to immediately report anyone offering large quantities of chocolate via unconventional channels. <laughs> psst, psst, lady, you want some chocolate? <laughs> yeah, like I'm going to buy some chocolate out of somebody's van in a Tupperware container. <laughs> That's probably not going to happen. Buying chocolate out of somebody's <laughs> fan. A police spokesman added, Stranger it's, danger! 
It's not even clear if they were after the suites or after the trailer. At this point, we don't know what their motive was. Officers are investigating whether the theft had any link to a trailer that was stolen in Weimar, um, about 190 kilometers to the east over the weekend. A fruity <laughs> a fruit juice lorry was also stolen on Saturday in Wittenberg, northeast of Neustadt. Now, if it was a milk truck, then I would say definitely they're related because there's nothing like chocolate with a little milk chaser. Anyway, 20 tons of chocolate spread stolen by a gang in Germany. And it was a gang. There's a chocolate gang in <laughs> Germany stealing chocolate and selling it out of the, the uh, trunks of their cars and a Tupperware containers. Maybe you saw the, the picture of the teenager who uh, had a prize cow in the Iowa State Fair. Well, it's gone viral. This teen was showing his prize cow at the uh, fair. He was photographed sharing a tender nap time moment with his bovine buddy. Uh, The cow is laying down. The boy is laying with his head on the cow's belly and the cow's face is in the lap of the boy. It's really a pretty sweet picture. Jeremy Miner posted a photo on Facebook showing his son, uh, Mitchell, 15, taking a snooze with the the cow, Audrey, the cow in her stall at the Iowa State Fair. Miner said the boy led, bathed, clipped and walked Audrey regularly in the weeks leading up to the State Fair's Youth Dairy cattle show. The father said Mitchell has been up since 3 a.m. for three days straight when he snapped the photo on the day of the contest on Sunday. She likes to lay down quite a bit. Uh, She just enjoys the company of the kid. Uh, Audrey finished the contest in fifth place. So while the two of them were worn out, it was a competition worth engaging in. Well, if you've ever been curious about the Iowa State Fair's famous butter cow, here's everything you've ever maybe not wanted to know. More than a million people typically visit the Iowa State Fair every year, and sometimes it seems like every one of them is clustered around the Butter Cow's climate-controlled glass enclosure. It's one of the major features. Why a Butter Cow? Well, Butter Cow sculptures appear to have started in the Iowa State Fair back in 1903. The first one was displayed at Iowa State Fair eight years later as a way to promote dairy products in one of the country's leading agricultural states. And uh, this year they had not only the cow, but other athletes um, who were posed to performing whatever athletic endeavor they're engaged in. The butter cow isn't actually made of solid butter, just in case you're wondering. It's built around a wood and metal frame, which is a little disappointing. It's not solid butter. The core of the cow is composed of uh, little wood, some wire, steel mesh, the frame. And that structure is then layered with about 600 pounds of Iowa butter. It's a big sculpture, but not as hefty as an actual dairy cow, which typically weighs about 1,000 pounds. Well, the State Fair estimates it's enough butter for 19... 1,200 slices of toast, but even fairgoers with grumbling stomachs probably wouldn't want to dig into the sculpture. Most of the butter is reused from year to year, and some of it is up to a decade old. I think I'll pass. Fairgoers often uh, swelter in the heat and humidity of the fair, but the butter cow, well, he looks out of a glass enclosure kept at a chilly 40 degrees. Sarah Pratt of West Des Moines has been forming the cow and other buttery creations since 2006, making her only the fifth sculpture in 106, or sculptor rather, in 106 years. This year, she's also creating a sculpture of Laura Ingalls Wilder in honor of the Little House on the Prairie author's 150th birthday, as well as a replica of uh, Solheim Cup Trophy. The Solheim Cup trophy awarded to the winners of a golf tournament held this summer in Iowa. Previous sculptures have included Elvis Presley, John Wayne, Leonardo uh, da Vinci's The Last Supper.
Yes, they're particularly popular in the Midwest with the sculptures in Illinois, Minnesota, Missouri, and Wisconsin. They're also a part of state fairs in other regions, including New York, Texas, and Utah. Not all are cows, though, and the Minnesota State Fair sculpture is especially beloved, as each year a dairy association's Princess Kay of the Milky Way and her court have their likenesses carved into 90-pound butter blocks. Oh, that's so sweet. We've got news and traffic coming up at the top of the hour, and then... We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, welcome to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us on this eve of the Epochalypse. Okay, Epochalypse. Kind of hard to say. Anyway, Clark Hilton is engineering today's program. James Blend is producing, and we're having a bit of fun on a Friday afternoon. Just before the break, we were talking about the Iowa State Fair. They uh, carve butter as part of their tradition. It's been a hundred plus years, and that's true from for some other places as well. But one of the things that is, I think, countrywide is the uh, propensity to deep fry things at the state fair. And I have here the most delicious deep fried treats from this year's state fairs. Now, some of our state fairs haven't come yet, but uh, these are some of the more popular. My guess is uh, they'll show up. Summer is state fair season across America, and for millions of people, that means prize-winning livestock, rides, crafts, some of the most bizarre foods you'll ever get the opportunity to try. For instance, the Wisconsin State Fair offered up three little pigs ravioli, which is made uh, with a (laughs) bacon noodle, wow, a bacon noodle, filled with pork and doused with bourbon barbecue jam, before getting covered in cheese. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Thumbs down. Yeah, it didn't sound good to me. But Sarah Ledden of Green Bay, Wisconsin says, it's amazing. It's crispy with a sweet side. You can also uh, dine on the hot beef sundae. At the Indiana State Fair, it's a succulent dish of mashed potatoes covered with beef, cheese, and um, corn, which is then drenched in gravy and topped with a cherry tomato of course. I mean, if you separated those things all out on a plate, that would probably yeah, be, be fine. Okay. But this is in the Sunday form because when you're at the state fair, you want to be as ridiculous as possible. <laughs> but most classic state fodder seems to come in two forms, deep fried and on a stick, and sometimes both. What about the cheesy fried olives on a stick? That's one of the delicious um, delicacies that you're going to find at the Illinois State Fair. Cheesy along with- fried olives. Yes. Uh, Also, the bacon on a stick, cheese curds, and something called Elvis on a stick, which consists of a deep fried banana, which is battered, slathered with peanut butter and covered with bacon. I don't see the Elvis connection, Mm. except that he enjoyed a good meal. I I don't know. (laughs) Uh, It's just so incredibly good. I can't stop thinking about it, says one uh, fair goer who uh, quite noticeably Uh, all shook up about the dish. And it's not just Elvis or olives you can eat on a stick. Basically, all the basic food groups are offered in thin wooden uh, eating utensils, or rather on them, as they make uh, things easier to chow down while you're still walking around the park. There's um, bread on a stick, salad on a stick, and for the main course, alligator on a stick. Salad on a stick. What does that look like? A tomato, a piece of lettuce? Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Skewered, I'm, I'm guessing. And to top it all off, chocolate-covered bacon brownies, you guessed it, on a stick. Chef but, salad on a stick. There you I go. I like the sound of that. But as everyone knows, food tastes better when it's fried. And there are probably more deep-fried uh, fryers per capita at state fairs than anywhere else on the planet. How about Spam cheese curds? Uh, one of the most popular deep-fried delicacies at the Wisconsin Fair. Vendor Matt Duran, he claimed them to be the best seller. 
Um, uh, they're addicting, says uh, another. Other options include Cajun dumplings, deep fried butter, uh, deep fried <laughs> eggs, deep fried pickles covered with ranch sauce. And they're not um, they're not for the faint of heart. Now, deep fried pickles have sort of made their way to the uh, West Coast. I remember when I was in Louisiana several years ago, uh, they were offering deep fried pickles. It just seemed uh I, incomprehensible to me, but um, they're here. I'm, I'm stuck more on that deep fried butter. That yeah. seems incomprehensible. I know to me. some people who've had it. They have, you know, the butter is frozen in the middle of some kind of a bready thing, and then when you deep fry it, it's completely covered. The butter melts, and you open it up, and it's all buttery, and so that's the thing. Ew. Yeah. Even produce finds its way into the hot oil. Carrots, corn, strawberries, pineapple, pears, peaches were all served up after swimming. Uh, in Greece. Uh, But what really gets mouths watering are all the sweet treats, most of which are battered up and dunked. I have to admit, I like a good dunked thing, although you really have to resist them. Uh, It all began years ago with the Twinkie, when a sweet-toothed entrepreneur decided to see how the golden cake would taste deep-fried. It later proved to be so popular, it heralded everything from deep-fried Oreos to Snicker bars and cupcakes. If it's sweet, we deep fry it, said a smiling brook, somebody, some last name of 3B Concessions, (laughs) uh, which was set up at the Wisconsin State Fair. Here, the vendor's most popular treat is the Enchanting Unicorn, which is basically a cake filled with cotton candy cream topped with butter and doused with uh, edible glitter. I think I'll pass on that Edible (laughs) glitter. I think I will pass on that one. It's safe to say these interesting edible oddities likely didn't exist when the very first state fairs opened in Syracuse, New York in 1841. At that time, mostly beef and fresh produce were served. But fair cuisine has come a long way since then. At Ohio State Fair, food isn't just consumable. It's also art. There's a very competitive food sculpting contest where entrants are given specific fruits in three hours to transform them into a masterpiece. Uh, the largest state fair in the country in terms of attendance occurred last year in the state where everything is bigger. That's, of course, Texas. In 2016, more than 2.5 million people walked through the gates. The smallest fair was in Nebraska, where about 360,000 entered the corn dog and cotton candy haven last year. And some of the hungriest fairgoers are in Indiana, where they consume approximately 14,000 pounds of pork chops, 56,000 pounds of ribeye steak, and 20 thousand tons of ice cream per season only in america wow yeah that's a lot of um, a lot of uh, food well here's a bit of useful information researchers are inching closer to peanut allergy cures or a singular cure could a cure for peanut allergies be close? Well, according to Australia's ABC, they report that in a new study, 82% of participants saw their peanut allergies cured within the first 18 months of treatment. Four years later, 80% of the participants still showed no sign of an allergy. 70% passed a further test meant to confirm long-term peanut tolerance. The research out of Australia's Murdoch Children's Research Institute involved 48 children, some of whom were given an Uh, immunotherapy treatment and some of whom got a placebo. The children who uh, still appear to be cured four years later had been eating peanuts freely in their diet without having to follow any particular program of peanut intake, said the lead researcher. Uh, An immunologist, got to get the emphasis on the right syllable, (laughs) 
uh, and an allergist <laughs> combined a probiotic with a method known as peanut oral immune, immunotherapy, a high dose of the probiotic, uh, the name of which I will not attempt, was combined with peanut protein to increase increasing amounts. Uh, the probiotic is known to calm the immune system and reduce allergic reactions. The idea is to reprogram the way the immune system reacts to peanut intake. She hopes to have the product to market within five years, according to Age magazine. So there you have it. May not work so well for you, but uh, for others in the future, five years from now, might be a good idea. Well, speaking of tasty things to eat in Switzerland, bugs are on the menu. All right. Switzerland's first insect-based food aimed at humans will go on sale next week following a revision of the country's food safety laws, a supermarket chain said on Monday. Now, keep in mind that much of the world, if not most of the world, uh, relies on bugs for a, a, a protein source. So this isn't really big news anywhere except in the West. Switzerland's second largest supermarket chain, Co-op, announced that it would begin selling an insect burger and insect balls, which is just insect in the shape of a ball, on protein-rich mealworm uh, um, would be sold. The product made by a Switzerland startup called Essento will be available in a handful of co-op branches, including Geneva, Bern, and Zurich as of the 21st of this month. Switzerland is the first European country to authorize the sale of insect-based food items for human consumption. Swiss food safety laws were changed last May to allow for the sale of food items containing three types of insects, crickets, grasshoppers, and mealworms. I tend more Mm. toward grasshoppers myself, which are the larva uh, forms of the mealworm beetle. You know, sometimes it's just best not to know. Uh, These insects, long used in animal feed, must be bred under strict supervision for four generations before they're considered appropriate for human consumption. Local production will thus take a few months to get started. In the meantime, imports are possible under strict conditions. The insects must be raised in accordance with the Swiss requirements that a company submitted to inspections by national food safety authorities. It's just a matter of time, and we too will have access, I'm guessing, to this very inexpensive form of protein enjoyed by most of the world. So there you have it. I'm going to uh, take a quick break. And get some mealworms. Yeah, gag without anyone having to overhear me. 16 minutes after 5 o'clock, we'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 21 minutes after 5 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. By the way, in our next segment, we're going to say goodbye to a guy who's been a fixture here at the station for uh, several years. Andy Waits is moving on. We'll talk a little bit about his future plans when he joins me in studio. Well, Starbucks baristas are apparently forming a support group in preparation for the pumpkin spice latte season. Uh, It's almost the most wonderfully frenzied time of the year, the grand return of the pumpkin spice latte, or the PSL, as they call it. To Starbucks menus everywhere, it will return. As fans of the fall favorite patiently await the pumpkin, cinnamon, nutmeg, and clove-laden espresso beverage, one group is dreading its arrival, Starbucks baristas. It's coming, help us all, wrote Reddit user App Kerman, along with a photo of a heaping two-quart tub labeled pumpkin spice-flavored sauce, which had just been delivered to their store, their Starbucks. 
Well, conversation then exploded on the thread of users claiming to be baristas uh, discuss the good, the bad and the ugly that they see in customers who order pumpkin spice lattes. The post quickly transformed from a venting space to a support group as the baristas exchanged advice and words of encouragement in preparation for serving the quintessentially autumn drink and all the madness that comes with it. In solidarity, other uh, Redditors employed by the the coffee shop have posted photos of the flavored sauce waiting on the shelves for the fall of 2017 debut. Uh, Brace yourselves, read the Snapchat caption of one photo. It's here, announced another. Following a suit of... um, of years prior, Starbucks has yet to announce an official arrival date for the beverage. However, a competitor is um, wasting no time playing coy. Dunkin' Donuts announced it will roll out its fall menu on the 28th of this month. We'll oh. be ordering our coffee with the extra pumpkin, please. So, Well, that the, is uh, really early. Yeah, yeah. But for the baristos, be kind to them. It's a, it's a tough season, apparently. Uh, I read a headline that said the truth about instant coffee. One of the the uh, phrases that's often used these days is the fill in the blank. They don't want you to know. And you right. hear all kinds of statements that they don't want you to know. They could probably care less. But it sounds very impressive and ominous when they say the truth about instant coffee. They don't want you to know. Uh, some people love instant coffee. Others hate it for on-the-go coffee lovers. It's a lifesaver for coffee snobs. It's a dead on arrival. Whether you can't live without it or you can't live with it, knowing it's in your cupboard, you may be uh, interested to know just how much history and technology have gone into a small scoop of one of the world's most popular drinks. Ladies oh, do tell. Do tell. I'm going to tell it right now. You know, I don't know why I'm going to talk about it. Because, because it's in it's the, the public truth. interest. It's because it's the truth about instant coffee. They don't want you to know. Instant coffee came into widespread production in the early 1900s. Probably didn't know that. It wasn't until World War I and then again in World War II that it really became popular. That's according to the author of Uncommon Grounds and Beyond Fair Trade. It's difficult uh, in trenches to brew coffee, so having instant coffee was a big improvement. Then it became even more popular. After World War II, Americans became obsessed with uh, technologically advanced methods of getting things quickly, like TV dinners, canned foods, instant coffee was a part of that wave. But it wasn't only for its ease and convenience in the mid-1960s. Nestle, which had been selling an instant coffee it called Nescafe since the 1930s, developed the first freeze-dried coffee. I remember when it was announced that freeze-dried coffee was on the market. I wasn't drinking coffee. I didn't care about it, but it was a big deal at the time, which it uh, marketed in the United States as Nescafe Taster's Choice. For the first time, instant coffee tasted more like coffee. To produce it, the marketers brewed a coffee uh, concentrate and then locked in the flavor by exposing it immediately to sub-zero temperatures, a process called flash freezing. The frozen concentrate then was sent through a vacuum chamber to remove all moisture, resulting in freeze-dried coffee granules. It was a huge advance, and instant coffee became more popular. In 2009, Starbucks introduced an instant coffee called Via, which used a proprietary spray-drying process. Another contender uh, is uh, Sudden Coffee, co-founded by the 2015 Finnish barista champion, uh, yes, uh, that really is a thing. And an engineer, Sudden, w- uses a unique drying process to create a higher-end instant coffee. Because if you're going to have a thing, you have to have a higher end of that thing so you can charge a lot more and drink it with your pinky up because you're better than everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> and these are the things that they don't want you to know. Now, my question is, who are they? 
Who are they that don't want you to know so many things? Those people. Yeah. There's an insurance plan, or the IRS doesn't want you to know. Things the airlines don't don't want want you you to know. know. There are people, they, them, that don't want you to know. What the IRS doesn't want you to know. Yeah. What Georgine Rice doesn't want you you to know. know. The truth about instant coffee and so, so much more. Anyway, there you have it. Um, let's see. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go there. Okay, fine. I'm not going to go there. We're not going to talk about that. Uh, we're not going to go there. Oh, this is sort of interesting. More than a thousand robots performed a choreographed dance routine together to set a world record in China. Fascinating. Next. (laughs) Really? (laughs) The 1,069 Dobie robots, um, completed the synchronized performance in Gangzhou, Guangdong, to acclaim the Guinness World Record for most robots dancing simultaneously. <laughs> there we go, another world record of worthless value. <laughs> yeah, a few of the robots accidentally toppled over. <laughs> not sure how that affected the record, but during the performance, they just had had enough. They were deducted from the final total, but still the record was broken. All of the robots were programmed via a singular group control system and are able to talk, do Tai Chi, and perform several other actions in addition to dancing, uh, but there is a risk of them toppling over. Uh, WL Intelligence Technology topped the record at 1,007 dancing robots previously held by fellow Chinese company Everwind Company and LTD. So if you're looking for a record, this might be one worth toppling. 1,069 Dobie robots hmm. dancing simultaneously. Okay. Yeah. No, the volume isn't... Uh, Uh, isn't a problem. It's just fine. It's the song. Apparently, the silent song finds iTunes popularity due to its special role. Uh, An unusual tune has found its way onto the top 50 on the iTunes charts, along with uh, Ed Sheeran and Keith Urban hits. The song is completely silent. A very good song costs 99 cents for just under 10 minutes of dead air. While the musical quality of the track is debatable, its popularity is due to the simple role that when people plug smartphones into a car, usually the first song alphabetically plays by default. And that irritates me. A, I got to tell you. A, 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 very good song, offers users several minutes of respite. Hmm. So that's what it's designed for. The song, in quotes, is the brainchild of Samir uh, Mezrahi, who released it last week. And while uh, high on iTunes, the song hasn't made much of a stir on Google Play, but it does give you that uh, that brief respite. No, we're not going to talk about that. No, we're not going to talk about this. Uh, no. Oh, what about this one? This was just, this is a story that they don't want you to know. A fisherman who accidentally left a car window open with the interior lights uh, on uh, returning to his vehicle found it filled with tens of thousands of mosquitoes. The video shows, and I've seen it, an outside view of the car after the fisherman returned to his vehicle uh, from some uh, some night fishing, the man accidentally left that window open and the interior lights, plural, uh, attracted the mosquitoes, including some festive multicolored lights in the car. Um, the lights ended up attracting tens of thousands of them. The brave man eventually opened the door and even scooped up a fistful of the blood-sucking insects from the driver's seat. Uh, but it will take some time before they, uh, I guess they just fall all over and die. I don't know what the lifespan of a mosquito is, but you don't want to leave think it's long. a light on uh, in your car and find tens of thousands of them there waiting for you. Absolutely not. Not a good idea. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk with Andy Waits. 
by way of goodbye. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but over the last several weeks, since, um, well, some news was uh, was made here at the station, I've just been a little bit, I don't know, off, a little down, a little sad. Sometimes when I'm in the middle of the show, you might have heard that my bottom lip was quivering just a bit. I was trying not to weep. And the reason for that was one of our close associates here at the station, really stations, plural, announced that he and his bride are moving from this area uh, down to the San Diego area. I don't get it, ladies and gentlemen. I have no you, idea why he's doing this thing. But well, you're trying not to quiver. You're quivering the lip, and you're, <laughs> I'm trying not to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> he's just that cruel. I'm talking about <laughs> about Andy Waits. Um, his voice is a familiar voice on all of the stations here uh, at uh, Salem Media. And uh, I just wanted to take a few moments and, and talk with you and let listeners know why that voice is going to be heard less frequently here. Oh. Because you've abandoned ship. You are the Benedict Arnold of uh, KPDQ. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. Yeah. Um, you're taking advantage of uh, new opportunities and heading down south. Yes. Uh, so, Andy Waits, you first started here uh, on our sister station, The Fish. Yes. Yeah. Tell us about that. Well, I came to town uh, from Utah. Before that, I'd been in L.A. And, gosh, I've been doing the radio thing for almost... Almost 40 years. So uh, it was a great opportunity to do the morning show on the fish and wake people up in Portland and have a good time doing that. But things changed and uh, we, we lost a very good friend in the production department, Jeff Davis, uh, left uh, Earth just way too early. And uh, so on that day, um, that that really hit me hard. Uh, yeah. About six months later, they offered me that position, and that, that was very touching. So it was a, a great opportunity for me to move into that position, as at the same time, Nelson was available to join us on the fish. And so it was, uh, it, it just it was God's timing. Yeah, it's always kind of musical chairs in in radio anyway. <laughs> Fortunately, we, we, we were able to shift things around, so we added people. We didn't lose anybody mm-hmm. uh, that time around. Now, some folks have no idea what the production uh, director, executive, mm. whatever your name. I, I really have no idea what you do here, but mm-hmm. um, if, <laughs> if you could explain what you have been doing here, because it really is um, kind of the heart and soul of what makes this all work. Oh, my goodness. Well, I, I wish I knew what it is I did. I don't, <laughs> I'm still looking for the manual. I don't know. Uh, no, I, I basically write commercials. Uh, I help um, local advertisers uh, get their message together. And one of the cool things I like about doing that is we're providing, I know people say advertising, here's what I, the way I think of it. We are getting goods and services that our listeners need and uh, people who are ethical in their business dealings, helping them get their message together and making those offers that people need in a way that they can understand. And so hooking up businesses with clients Helping the economy in that way, helping people get a good deal, helping the, the, the economy run. It's just, I mean, that's a win all the way around. Yeah. I, I think people don't really appreciate, um, the skill that it takes to make a commercial sound good. Hmm. Um, the, the voices have to be right. The timing has to be right. Choosing the right music that goes underneath what's being voiced. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot about what you do and you have done it really, really well. Oh my goodness. Thank you. I appreciate that. Can I call that? Can, I'm, I'm going li- to hey save that piece of tape. I'm going to use that in my resume. Thank you. <laughs> You've also done um, other kinds of production. You have you do video and that mm-hmm. sort of thing as well. So you're yes. kind of a 
all-around kind of media guy. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and uh, we I worked in a recording studio where we did albums and uh, jingles and that kind of stuff, too. Mm-hmm, so. Mm-hmm. so what's this next adventure that you are abandoning ship uh, to, to undertake? Uh, I'm going to spend a lot of time in the San Diego area, a little town called Encinitas. It's in North County, right on the beach. I'm going to spend a lot of time uh, with uh, my rear end in sand, <laughs> checking my eyelids for pinholes. So <laughs> that's my goal. And I understand you want to learn how to surf? Yes. Yes. I've always wanted to learn. And this is a big surf town. So uh, I probably should go up the coast, uh, you know, a town or two. So I don't embarrass myself badly in front of the people right there. <laughs> you in don't want to be that guy in right. your own town. I'm going to be that guy anyway. So, yeah. Well, it sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. Well, it has been such a joy to have you here um, at KPDQ and, of course, all of our other stations as well. And uh, we, uh, I know a bunch of us took you to lunch yesterday just yeah. to say, hey, we love you. We're going to miss you. And uh, the good news is because we live in the 21st century and social media is out there, we can stay in touch. It's not quite the same, but we can stay in touch in ways that, you know, a few years back we couldn't have. Isn't that great? Social media is the town square. So we have a chance to, you know, swap stories, see pictures and really live lives intertwined, even though we're thousands of yeah, miles apart. Yeah, I know that you um, you're known here for uh, having been on the music station for doing uh, commercial work here as well. But you've also done talk radio. And my guess is before it's all said and done, uh, we're going to hear your voice somewhere out there. If it's uh, just in San Diego or maybe beyond uh, doing that kind of radio in the future as well. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's uh, been something of uh, I've done it in the past. Uh, I enjoy doing it. And uh, I might look to hang my hat in some station like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I uh, just wanted to say um, it's been a real delight working with you. You're going to be missed. And despite uh, weeks of a campaign to try to get him to change his mind, I mean, I've, I've tried everything short of, uh, you know, slashing his tires. Um, <laughs> oh, that wasn't you then. <laughs> no, that was. <laughs> those were my Confederates, but no, that was not me, and I <laughs> will deny it in court. <laughs> uh, just wanted to say um, it's been a delight. I know folks are going to miss hearing you around here, although your voice will remain for some time because I know you're the voice of some of our advertisers, and that will continue for a period of time. But uh, just praying that uh, God would continue to orchestrate your steps and that everything would go the way you hope it will, and you and your wife will have uh, a great adventure in San. Diego. Thank you. I am so glad I got to know you so well because what I'm, you know, I, I don't want to sit here and, and, uh, you know, put you on a pedestal or anything. No, that's, not, that's perfect. Not fine. that you aren't already there. <laughs> no, so, go, go, no, go ahead. You can. But In fact, uh, I have one over here. If you, <laughs> but, but, uh, really, the, the lady that you hear on the radio is, is Georgine and what a, what a soul. Just a, just a wonderful, gentle, Beautiful human being in every sense. Just well, wow. Thank you. Thank well, you, you. And I, I know we've sat in your um, your room and had discussions about scripture and life. And yes. it, again, it's just been a lot of fun. And um, again, if, if there's anything I could do to convince you not to go, uh, this would be my last plea. This is your last day here. I know you're going to be at Fish Fest. So, by the way, if you are at Fish Fest and you see Andy, you can give him a hug and say goodbye. Oh, that'd be great. This is my last opportunity to say, please don't go. You're making a terrible mistake. Open your checkbook. Be- <laughs> it's spelled W-A-I-T-S. <laughs> uh, no, seriously, um, have a great time, and we'll look forward to hearing about your adventure in the days ahead. Thank you so much. God bless you. Thank you. Okay, Andy waits. He's leaving on a jet plane. Don't know when he'll be back again. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back. You are, yeah, listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Oh. 
We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I had my mic turned down. I had no idea that you were playing the, uh, the music to come back in. Well, I appreciate your indulging me for these last few moments as we said goodbye to Andy Waits. I know uh, he is familiar to some of you, and I wanted to let you know, what you know, whatever happened to that guy who used to... So now you know. Uh, he's on a, another adventure. And James, um, you and I had to pre-record that conversation because he's doing the traffic for our stations uh, during the, the this time of the day, so yeah, through the magic of radio, it sounded like he finished our interview and immediately gave you a traffic report. Yeah, it it sounded just like <laughs> just like that. Um, anyway, um, in radio, it, we're kind of a transient community uh, community because people come and go uh, with some frequency, and oftentimes uh, listeners have no idea what happened to the person who used to do that or the voice that they are familiar with doing this. So I thought it might be a good idea to just let you know where Andy waits. Is headed, and a lot of you are Facebook friends. If you're not, but would like to continue to follow him, you can find him on Facebook. And I know he'd love to uh, add you to his uh, growing family. Now, James, I've said goodbye to far too many people. I want you to make a promise. You're not going anywhere because you know I cannot handle another goodbye. You know, it's funny, and I'm not going to make that promise, but we'll we'll sideswipe that. I was actually talking with a coworker of ours earlier, um, actually about shortly before the show today, um, Brad London, who's been with the station a good number of years yeah. in our sales department. And uh, we were kind of commenting on the fact that uh, he and I started here about a year and a half apart. And, how, and I started here before both of you. Before both of you. Mm-hmm. And there is about, I think, I'm one of maybe five people that was you know, that's been here as long as I've been here. I, there are four people or so that have been here longer than me at this point, including our general manager and uh, one of our weekend guys and uh, one or two others, including yourself. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, mind you that that's five people out of a staff of, on any given time, 40 to 50 people work at the station here in Portland. And so it, it was just kind of reflecting upon that and going, how many people have come and gone uh, from this office and the time that we've been here, and the number is hundreds. That's true, but I should add, come and gone and come back again. Including myself. Andy Waits is leaving, but Andy West is returning. Now, some of you remember Andy West. He engineered this program for several years, yep. and one of my favorite and most memorable uh, programs was the program about, well, there, actually, there are two of them, the program about Andy West and his chicken. He had a brownie. pet chicken, Brownie. brownie. Mm-hmm. And the other one was Andy West, who used a fork out of the common fork drawer here at the station. These are forks, these silverware that's provided by the management generously that we can all use when we have lunch and so on. (laughs) And I walked in on Andy West some years ago. I'm sure he's matured beyond that now. We'll see. Uh, Scratching his foot with one of those forks. And we we actually, I think we did a whole show on (laughs) scratching his foot i mean it wasn't all about that but people called in and shared uh similar things that uh, he, just he, were beyond i the always pale. remember andy as having been on the board for the infamous hood world episode as well that's right he was the one who engineered mm-hmm. hood world which uh, we will never repeat because um as you might recall those of you who are long timers there were people who took that april 1st uh program seriously and hopped in their cars and started heading east looking for this nebulous, non-defined hood world somewhere out there. And we thought it was so generalized that no one in their right mind, and I don't mean to be insulting, (laughs) that no one in their right mind would take it seriously. I mean, we deliberately added things to it, and we had background noises and all, but 
we added things to our commentary that made it clear that this couldn't be true. This wouldn't be allowed. How could this be possible? Testing the rides with a full load, <laughs> it, it volunteers, yeah. crashing in the background, ambulances. Yeah, and we told people that it was free that day, right. April 1st, but you had to sign a waiver that if you were injured, seriously maimed, or your life was ended on one of the rides because they had not been tested, they were not firmly fixed to the ground, uh, that you could not hold the uh, the owner's life. I mean, we just went out of our way anyway he was the engineer i know on that one program. gas station along the way towards yes. mount hood that received <laughs> multiple visitors of people looking for this particular amusement park that didn't exist and to this day <laughs> that gas station is still there and when i pass it if i'm heading to central oregon or up to the mountain every time i see it i think of hood world <laughs> and i can't not just for the record there is no hood world no hood world yeah although so. i guess if you're going to pick a weekend to look for it this would be the one to do <laughs> yeah, it really uh, you'd have plenty of time to kind of stop at a snail's pace and see exactly. what's, what's on either side of the road. Uh, anyway, he engineered that program. He's back, and that's a fairly common theme here. We have, particularly in the sales department, but not exclusively, we have people who have gone and come back again. So you never know what you're going to find at one of the Salem stations here. Uh, in, uh, for in all you know, a couple of years later, we could be saying, hey, Andy Waits is back. Yeah, it's possible. It's entirely possible. You never know. We should probably break into a chorus of sunrise, sunset, sweet legal (laughs) ears, but we'll spare you that. I want to let you know a little bit of what's coming up next week. Of course, we'll cover the news of the week. On Monday, we'll talk with Rahim Kassam. He's the author of No Go Zones, How Sharia Law is Coming to a Neighborhood Near You. This is a fascinating look at what's happening all across the country. Well, at least... In parts of the country. On Tuesday, we'll talk with Ron Moore. He's the author of Worn Out by Obedience, Recovering from Spiritual Fatigue. Now, we don't like to admit that perhaps we have had that or in the midst of that experience, but we're going to talk with Ron Moore about it and what to do about it. On Wednesday, we'll talk with Marion Jordan Ellis, the author of Stand, Rising Up Against Darkness, Temptation and Persecution. On Thursday, we'll talk with Lee Strobel, uh, the uh, movie that came out, oh, it's been, has it been as long as a year ago or just about six, six to nine months ago? Uh, Case for Christ, the DVD of the movie is now available or soon will be. We're going to talk about uh, that. And of course, it's based on his best-selling book, The Case for Christ, which is uh, also available, revised and updated. That's going to be on Thursday. And then on Friday, assuming we all um, survive the eclipse, the apocalypse, uh, we are going to have a bit of fun, uh, as we typically do on a Friday. So that's uh, it'll that's be the a lineup. totality of fun. It it will be a totality of fun. In fact, the uh, the path of totality will include this general Listening vicinity. Area. Yeah, this general vicinity. Well, we've been talking about the uh, the eclipse and all of the things that. Actually, uh, I, I do know what we can talk about next Friday. What's that? We can start getting people ready for the 2024 eclipse. Well, we could. I, I think, you know, it, it, clearly we've learned this time it takes that much preparation. It, except that I'm going to be here talking about it then anyway, so it might be redundant. Well, just here's the, here's the we talk about it now. We rerun the program in seven years. <laughs> it seems like a win-win for all of us. Or not. All right, maybe not so much. Yeah, maybe not so much. Uh, anyway, there's a lot of a uh, lot of stuff going on. I mentioned earlier that Bonnie Tyler is going to sing "Total Eclipse of the Heart," and that to me, that's just going to seal the whole thing. She's going to be not on Eclipse her, without that <laughs> Royal Caribbean cruise during the Total Eclipse. Now that would be pretty cool to be that out would. on a cruise, um, looking upward, and of course, there's nothing to obstruct your view like the lights of you know the community around you. Anyway, 
the total eclipse of the heart she's going to be singing. You might want to find that on iTunes and play it as you're looking up uh, for the few minutes that, it, that the eclipse will be uh, visible from uh, our location. Coast residents, we know they're preparing to hunker down ahead of the eclipse crowds. Here in Portland, uh, the, the public parking garage roofs are going to be closed during the eclipse. Wouldn't you like to be in a public parking? Uh, I shouldn't say the roofs, but um, the parking garages, a lot of times you have, uh, you can go up to the top level and you could see it from there, but they're they're making arrangements that those are going to be closed for this whole thing. Uh, and the panic and mayhem has ensued all around us. So let's just hope by, well, let's see, 10, 30, 11 o'clock on Monday, things will be back to normal. And we will all agree that maybe we went a little overboard. Maybe not, but maybe so. And you'll be right here watch, watching the eclipse from your window? From somewhere. Um, I, I mentioned earlier that uh, I, I hadn't gotten eclipse glasses. And I was starting to get a little bit nervous because, of course, they're selling out everywhere. Yes, they are. And I was presented earlier today by a set, a pair of eclipse glasses from Clark. Oh, so he and I have made arrangements uh, to see the eclipse from a location that we will not disclose until after the eclipse has happened, because it's a pretty cool uh, vantage point. If it's what I think it is, you're absolutely right. It, it is a very cool vantage point. Yes. So we'll we'll uh, see if that's going to happen, first of all, and then I'll we be can talk about watching it. from my front lawn. Oh, that's right, because uh, Fish Fest is this weekend. Fish Fest is this weekend. And you're kind of a big honcho for Fish Fish Fest. He's responsible for overseeing so much of that. In fact, that's kind of your job, Fish Fest and and producing this program. Those are the biggest two elements of my job. And yeah, it's a year-round thing, but uh, Fish Fest is uh, Saturday, uh, tomorrow that is, and we're looking forward to it. And But as much of fun as it is, and I love doing that event, Equally looking forward to Sunday. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a huge undertaking. It, it really is. And uh, for the staff that, that work that event, and I use the word advisedly because it's a lot of fun. It's work, but it's also a lot of fun. And there's some great bands that are going to be playing a lot of opportunities to uh, meet with some of our clients. It's just a great, um, a great afternoon. Uh, it's a lot of work, especially for people who are overseeing, and that, that certainly includes you. So you're going to be gone Monday and Tuesday. Sort of, of recovery, uh, yeah, because I don't get much weekend with with what's going on. But uh, you know, of course, I feel like I have to say this, even though you know, with the eclipse, apocalypse. Thank you. Um, <laughs> allow if you're going to Fish Fest, allow some extra time. Definitely, you never know what. Uh, yes, you do want to allow extra time. Door, doors are at noon. I always tell people shoot for the door time, not the concert start time tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And try and be out there by noon. It's a lot easier to be comfortable on a blanket than uncomfortable in traffic. So we'd li- you know, like you to get there in plenty of time to get the whole day's events. Well, and of course, uh, Salem is in the path of totality. So there's going to be a lot going on in Salem. So there, you're absolutely they right. Are, uh, let's put it this way. You, when you're leaving the park, you'll probably see people laying around in sleeping bags. Yeah, because it's Salem has allowed people, folks yeah. to camp out. For and the- that is one of the places that, uh, not within the realm of where our, our setup will be, but... Uh, a lot of our fencing comes down Sunday night so that uh, much of the park that we take up will be usable Monday morning. Yeah, yeah. Now tell us uh, who some of the bands are for those who uh, may not know. So we've got a uh, new artist, Jordan Feliz. Um, he's he's going to be opening up. The, we've got a, another brand new artist called Four All Seasons. They're coming in as well. Andy Minio, who is supposed to be with us last year, he's joining us. He's a Christian rapper, probably one of the best out there. Uh, Mac Powell, who's the lead singer of a band called Third Day, and they've been around for a number of years, and he's doing some solo dates and joining us. Um, then we've got uh, Fish Favorite Matthew West joining us, and our headliner is Mercy Me. And, of course, 
there you know that's one of those bands everybody if if you haven't heard i can, can only imagine I, I don't know where you've been the last 20 years but <laughs> it, it's not been anywhere near radio so it's uh it's one of the most popular songs pretty much in the history of contemporary christian music and adult contemporary music as well at, at Somehow that song managed to cross over into the mainstream and really catch people's hearts. Yeah, yeah. So that's Fish Fest, and that's coming up on Saturday. Um, as you mentioned, start time, noon, or, or open time, what do you Doors call it? Doors open around noon, and Doors open. music will start right about 2.30. Excellent, excellent. Well, uh, great job in setting all of that up, and I hope you enjoy your two days off, because you're definitely going to need them. I am certainly going to need them, and it's one of those things I feel like I need to set an alarm, or I might just sleep through that eclipse. <laughs> Yeah, probably so. So what am I supposed to do on Monday and Tuesday? I'm just going to do my best with James. Uh, he's going to be out of the house, and so we'll we'll do the best we can. Again, on Monday, we'll talk with Rahim Kassam. The book is No Go Zone, How Sharia Law is Coming to a Neighborhood Near You. I want to thank Clark Hilton for engineering today's program, James Blend for engineering a portion of and producing all of today's program, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.